All right. So we're in Joshua, chapter 2. We started this last week. This is our With You series. Um, who was here last week? All right. Was anyone not here last week, but they watched this or heard this online? Yeah. There's a few. Um, it's a good reminder to me. I get um, several messages after each Sunday, usually saying, I really love that message, or other things but um <laughs> usually it's positive and um and that's a good thing and it's a reminder that it's not just us here there are people um who are at home for whatever reason and we're we're grateful that you're joining us so uh thanks for being with us this morning wherever you are all right last week we looked at joshua chapter one uh, moses is dead moses is dead and that that uh, realization for joshua that that the, uh, the leader of his whole life, really, uh, was gone, and now it's him. And he's got to lead these people with strength and courage. He's given the purpose again. It's the same purpose that, that God had for Israel when Moses was leading them. Now it rests on Joshua and the reminder to him that this is possible, Joshua, because I am with you. So that's where we got to last week. This week, Joshua chapter 2. We're going to read through this whole chapter. Um, you know, when you, whenever you read narrative, like in the Bible, like this is just a story and it's an account, I think I could summarize this and think, why? They've done it already. It's just, it's a story. So we'll, we'll read through this and we'll um, notice some things as we go through. Then Joshua secretly sent out two spies from the Israelite camp at Acacia Grove. He instructed them, scout out the land on the other side of the Jordan River, especially around Jericho. So why two? How many spies went? 40 years earlier, the Israelites had been here and Moses had sent spies into the promised land. How many did Moses send in? 12. One from representing each tribe of Israel. And where did they go? All over the land. Now Joshua, I don't know if he's learned from that. and gone, that's too many. I'm just going to send two and I'm just going to send them to around Jericho. That's just over the river. That's just the next thing. Because who knows that... When something is insurmountable, you know, when there's too much ahead and you look at 50 steps ahead, it feels impossible. But if you just look at the next step, um, then... So maybe, maybe that's why Joshua did that. Maybe he wanted him to check out Jericho because Jericho was a fortified city, a strong, fortified uh, city. And they couldn't really move into the Promised Land until they got past that. They couldn't leave it at their back as they... As they went through, they had to knock off um, Jericho first, so he wanted a particular concentration that way. We don't know. He just sent two, and he said, just do the local area. Um, we find out more about why at a spiritual level, at a what God is doing level, through this chapter. So the two men set out and came to the house of a prostitute named Rahab and stayed there the night. Um, we're just reading this story, we know the story, but just take those words and say, here's Matt, Matt's going to go and spy out the land, and Matt um, found the house of a prostitute and stayed there the night. <laughs> Doesn't read so well, does it? I'll pick Matt because I know he would never do that. <laughs> um, this, uh, this, in fact, it's so distasteful that um, commentators have tried to tidy this up because this word for harlot or prostitute can be translated innkeeper. And it seems more likely 
that Rahab was in was like in a way station. She was she lived in the wall of Jericho, and it was kind of a, it was a byway, so people would come come and go from that place. And um and she was connected. She had a father and and brothers and sisters and their families, and and she had you know like flax drying out on her roof. So that's like from, um, you know, from, from the grain, so maybe she's got some agri- agricultural ties, and there's this whole story around how he's the, the tavern keeper, the, the way station person, this, and this is why the spies would go there, because they'd get, a, they'd get a feel for the scuttlebutt around town if they went to that community kind of house. Um, the, the problem with this theory is that the word is prostitute, <laughs> and... Um, and even if it's confusing in the Hebrew, when it's picked up in the New Testament in the Greek, it's unambiguously prostitute. So whatever else Rahab was, she was a prostitute. In fact, the Bible celebrates that that's what she was because everywhere she's named across the Bible, she's Rahab the prostitute. <sighs> so, um, however, I think it's likely that the spies went there because of that, that was a good place for them to find information about the mood of the city. That seems likely. <clears throat> oh, I'm, there's no tongue-in-cheek there. I'd, <laughs> just so you know. Um, but someone told the king of Jericho, verse 2, some Israelites have come here tonight to spy out the land. So the king of Jericho sent orders to Rahab, Bring out the men who have come into your house, for they have come here to spy out the whole land. Rahab had hidden the two men, but she replied, Yep, the men were here earlier, but I didn't know where they were from. Lie. They left the town at dusk. Lie. As the gates were about to close. I don't know where they went. Lie. If you hurry, you can probably catch up with them. Lie. In parentheses. Actually, she'd taken them up to the roof and hidden them beneath the bundles of flax she'd laid out. This is... Probably not the first time Rahab has lied to the authorities. Nor the first time that she's had to hide men under bundles of flax in her roof. And I read so much this week on relative ethics. You know? Is it okay to lie for a good cause? And people postulating it. The thing is, it's, this is the Bible, and it, doesn't, it just wants to tell us the story. It doesn't, doesn't adjudicate. It doesn't say she did the right thing or the wrong thing. Well, but what I can see is um, she's using what she's got and what she knows um, in faith, as we'll see. So the king's men went looking for the spies along the road leading to the shallow crossings of the Jordan River. As soon as the king's men had left, the gate of Jericho was shut. Before the spies went to sleep that night, Rahab went up On the roof to talk with them. Here's her words. I know the Lord has given you this land, she told them. We are all afraid of you. Everyone in the land is living in terror. For we have heard how the Lord made a dry path for you through the Red Sea when you left Egypt. What? When you what? When you left Egypt 40 years ago. We have heard what God did. Four decades ago, and we are terrified of your God. And we know that you're going to win because you have that God. 
You know the enemy that you're afraid of? You know the opposition that you're afraid of, that I'm afraid of? You know the thing that's in the way of you being all that you might be in Christ, of you becoming the person that God wants you to be, of you being shifted and changed? The thing that frightens you most about that journey is already afraid of you. Not because of you, but because greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. Your enemy is already afraid. So the problem for us is never the size of the obstacle. It's our perception of the size and the capacity and the intent of our God. So it's not how big is the obstacle that's the problem. It's how big is God in our own understanding, in our own belief, in our own perception. Forty years ago, the 12 spies had gone into the land and they came back and, and 10 of them gave this report. They, they said, yes, it's a land flowing with milk and honey. In fact, they got this bunch of grapes that was so big that it took several of them to carry it. And they lugged it half the way across the country and dumped it down in the community of Israel and said, this land is bountiful. Like they brought back this big evidence of it. But there's these giants and they're formidable and they're trained and they're warriors and we're going to get smashed like a bug. So, well, not, that was my paraphrase. They, and they spread that report um, around the community. And Joshua and Caleb, who were two of the 12 spies then, Joshua and Caleb um, came back and they said this. No, they tore their clothes. No. The land we traveled through and explored is a wonderful land. And if the Lord is pleased with us, he'll bring us safely into that land and give it to us. It's a land flowing with milk and honey. It's a rich land flowing with milk and honey. Do not rebel against the Lord and don't be afraid of the people of the land. They're only helpless prey to us. They have no protection, but the Lord is with us. Don't be afraid of them. You see the difference in perspective. They're giants. The opposition's too big. In here, the Lord is with us. They're helpless. Don't be afraid. But the people were afraid, and they were angry at Moses, and actually they wanted to stone Joshua and Caleb And back then. And instead of entering the promised land, they set themselves up for another 40 years of just repeating their current experience of just wandering around in the wilderness until everyone who was more than 20 years old uh, from that faithless point where they wouldn't go into the promised land till everyone who was 20 years um, old or over or over 20 years old had died except for Joshua and Caleb who the Lord preserved and came back for another crack which Brings more perspective to what we talked about last week because Joshua is like 70 or 80 years old when God is saying to him, you lead and be strong and very courageous that we heard last week. And without breaking his faith himself because he wanted to take the land all that time ago, he's been wandering around for four decades living this nomadic subsistence life. It's the best years of his life given over to wandering in the wilderness. Um, and now, in his older age, he's getting to charge into the, get another crack at the promised land. Okay, so 
Back to Rahab, Joshua 2, verse 10. She says, For we've heard how the Lord made a dry path for you through the Red Sea when you left Egypt, and we know what you did to Sion and Og, the two Amorite kings east of the Jordan River. That's more recently. Whose people you completely destroyed. No wonder our hearts have melted in fear. No one has the courage to fight after hearing such things, for the Lord your God is the supreme God of the heavens above and the earth below. This is an enemy prostitute. Can you hear the faith in this lady? And it's not because you've got chariots and armies and she's just saying, we are melting in fear because look at your God. So back to our question, why Jericho? Why two guys? Why just this particular way station or this place that um, Rahab was? Why? Because Rahab. That's why. Because there's a, there's a family and a woman in there that God wants to save. And more than that, there's a message that God wants his people to hear. And it's a message of faith. And it's not going to come from them. It's going to come from this prostitute in the city they're trying to conquer. Could you see the movement of God here? Just go to Jericho. Just two of you. And they're directed, and they're, where we go, where do we go? We're just going to land here. And then there's this encounter with this woman of faith. Similar to, you remember when Jesus said, um, when the text says, he had to go through Samaria. Why did he have to go through Samaria? There's nothing to explain that in Jesus' kind of travels. He should have just gone up the east track on the Jordan River where they normally went. Samaria was quicker, but it was hostile um, to Jews. So he, he shouldn't have... Like, he had to go through Samaria. Why? Because he was compelled to um, by the Spirit of God. He didn't know, oh, that's, this is all that's going to happen. Probably he's just like, I've got to go. He's, a, he's, a, he's fully human, just empowered by the Spirit of God, fully connected with his Father, <clears throat> fully God, but denying his power. So he doesn't know all of this stuff, but he's hearing what God's prompting him to do. And he, and he goes into Samaria, and he, I'm tired, and he sits down at a well, and this woman comes. Why? Why did he have to go to Samaria? Because of her. And not just her, but a family and a whole village. Because God is going to save somebody. And he's going to use that to show everybody his grace. Remember when he's sitting at the well, Jesus, and he says... Um, He's kind of basking in this after this encounter he's had with this Samaritan woman at the well. And, he, and his disciples say, you know, you haven't had anything to eat. And he goes, oh, I've got food that you don't know anything about. He's, I'm full. I'm full. My food is to do the will of God, who sent me to finish his work. What work? Reconciling the world to himself. So there's lots of reasons why Jericho. But what I want to show you in this is one of those reasons, and I think the text points to this big reason, is does God want this lady Rahab to connect with his people? So let's read the rest of the story. Verse 12. Now swear to me, this is Rahab, by the Lord, that you will be kind to me and my family since I've helped you. Give me some guarantee that when Jericho is conquered, you will let me live along with my father and mother, my brothers and sisters and all their families. Uh, They say to her, we offer our own lives as a guarantee for your safety. If you don't betray us, we'll keep our promise and be kind to you when the Lord gives us the land. Then, since Rahab's house was built into the town wall, she let them down by a rope through the window. 
Escape to the hill country, she told them. Hide there for three days from the men searching you. Then when they've returned, you can go on your way. Uh, Before they left, the men told her, We'll be bound by the oath we've taken only if you follow these instructions. When we come into the land, you must leave this scarlet rope hanging from the window through which you let us down. And all your family members, your father, mother, brothers, and all your relatives must be here inside the house. If they go out in the street and are killed, it's not our fault. But if anyone lays a hand on the people inside this house, we will accept responsibility for their death. And if you betray us, however, we're not bound by this oath in any way. I accept your terms, she replied, and sent them on their way, leaving the scarlet rope hanging from the window. The spies went up into the hill country, stayed there for three days. The men who were chasing them searched everywhere along the road, but they finally returned without success. Then the two spies came down from the hill country, crossed the Jordan River, and reported to Joshua all that had happened to them. The Lord has given us the whole land, they said, for all the people in the land are terrified of us. And all the people go, oorah, or something like that. We don't know what they did. We just know they made preparations immediately to cross the Jordan and start invading the land. Um, but I love the image of the scuttlebutt through the camp. You know, spies are back and they hear this. Everyone is terrified. Our enemies are all afraid of us. The Lord has given us the whole land, the whole army. God's, all God's people inspired by the words of a prostitute in the walls of Jericho. So it's amazing. Why Jericho? They go and they hear this one woman give them this report about what's happening there and this declaration of faith and they're so charged up by that and her help for them. They go back and they give this report and the whole army is inspired by the words of a prostitute. But not really by the words of the prostitute. The army is inspired by the faith of a woman whose view of God is clearer than theirs. And in Joshua 6, we read how after the walls of Jericho fell, Joshua sent the two spies straight to Rahab. Scarlet Claude was out. All her family was there. Uh, brothers and sisters and mum and dad, all their kids. Um, and they brought them all out. And they lived in Israel ever since. And Rahab got married. She did. To this guy called Salmon or I said, I looked up, how do you pronounce this? Because I don't, do, I don't speak Hebrew. How do you pronounce this in, in Hebrew? And it just says salmon. I'm like, oh, that's boring. <clears throat> salmon. To a guy called Salmon. Now, I would love to know more about that story. Because he's not a random outsider. He's got his lineage traced all the way back um, to Abraham. We'll find this out in Matthew 1. So how do they... I don't know how that... Wouldn't that be a great story? Someone should write a book about that. Um, one day, how does Rahab the prostitute, it comes into the community of Israel, um, how does she end up married to this, uh, to this guy? It's not like she lacks resource or leadership or anything like that in her own person, but still, it'll be, it'll be a big step for... Anyway, it doesn't matter. We don't know the story. Um, and if it's not in the Bible, then it's not, import- not, it's not important, but it's not important for the lesson that the biblical author is trying to uh, give us. But what we do know is that they got married and they had kids. And one of their kids was called Boaz. Let me show you this. Matthew chapter 1. Uh, I don't know if you read genealogies. I don't read them very often. You know, and so-and-so begat, so-and-so begat, so-and-so, and there's a line. At, in Matthew 1, there's, there's the bloodline of Mary, the mother of Jesus, 
um, from Abraham. I'll, I'll skip a few. Abraham was the father of Isaac. Isaac was the father of Jacob. Jacob was the father of so on. Down to Nashon was the father of Salmon. Salmon was the father of uh, Boaz, parentheses, whose mother was Ruth, whose mother was Rahab. And Boaz was the father of Obed, Obed, whose mother was Ruth. And Obed was the father of Jesse, and Jesse was the father of King David. And David was the father of Solomon, whose mother was Bathsheba, and so on. Down to uh, Mathan was the father of Jacob. Jacob was the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary. Mary gave birth to Jesus, who is called the Messiah. The two things here. Uh, this woman of faith in the walls of Jericho ends up contributing to the physical bloodline of Joseph, who is the Messiah's stepfather. And it's just another reminder to us that God's family is simply those who believe in him irrespective of status or past. And the second thing I want us to see here is Boaz. Um, genealogies are difficult to, in this way. We don't know if they say so-and-so begat so-and-so or was the son of, if they mean the son of or the grandson of or the great-grandson of. It's just they want to, the authors are trying to tidy it up. So you'll see the patterns of, um, in genealogies is 14 and then 14 and you can look up, that up in Matthew 1. So there's some, there's some license taken in, in when they say was the son of. It doesn't necessarily mean one generation. So... Um, but because Ruth is set in the time, the book of Ruth is set in the time of the judges, which immediately follows uh, Joshua's um, leadership. So, um, so probably this uh, Boaz was Rahab's son or grandson. Uh, he, would, he would have known her. This is amazing to me because if you know the story of Ruth, you know Boaz, he's the rich landowner, he's, he's, the, he's the good guy in the story. And Ruth is this foreigner, beggar really, who's got no way to sustain herself, who's committed to Naomi, her mother-in-law. All the men around them are dead. And um, she's just said, I'll be with you, I'll look after you, your people will be my people, your God will be my God, I want God, this is Ruth. And then she's walking along behind Boaz's men working, trying to just pick up the leftover stuff, which is what she's supposed to do according to the law. Um, and in the story we read, this Boaz guy notices her because she's pretty, and, but also because she's, she's humble and she wants God. So she's doing the right things um, towards God. And I always thought that was just because he's a good guy. But now I found out his mum was Rahab. Oh, can you see this legacy of grace that God has done? That God has moved to rescue this prostitute and bring her into the bloodline that's going to that's look after the Messiah. And, and, and these two stories, Rahab and then Ruth, to show us that it's not, it's not who I was born to. It's not what my credit, any credit to me. It's not my profession. It's not my title. It's, it's not how good I think I am. It's not how consistently I've turned up to this or that. It's entirely because God is beautiful to everyone who wants him. And there's no qualification for the kingdom other than faith. No one is insignificant or less 
You know Rahab makes it into the New Testament uh, two more times. James uses her as a story. Uh, he uses her story as a shining light to point to faith in action. You can read that in James 2. It was by faith that Rahab, Rahab showed her faith when she hid the spice. And she makes it into the faith hall of fame in Hebrews 11, you know, where the writer to the Hebrews goes chronologically through the activity of God amongst his people. Uh, it starts with Abel all the way back. Uh, Abel did this by faith. Enoch did that by faith. Noah did this by faith. Abraham did this, um, recounting the deeds of God's people chronologically through times. It was by faith that Sarah did this. It was by faith that Isaac did that. And, and Jacob too. And Moses did this by faith. And the people of Israel, this by, and he, about halfway through the list, he just goes, you get the idea, there's also these other people, blah, 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 blah. just starts listing them and not describing what they did. Just before he gets to that list, he concludes with this one. It was by faith that Rahab, the prostitute, was not destroyed by the people in her city who refused to obey God, for she'd given a friendly welcome to the spies. And then, how much more do I need to say? It would take too long to recount the stories of the faith of Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, David, Samuel, and all the prophets. So I've got time to talk about King David, but I'm going to just give you a descriptor of the faith of Rahab, the prostitute. It's just, where the, it's just where the list pivots in Hebrews 11. And I don't think it's a mistake that she's included in there as a list that includes Moses and Abraham and heroes of faith because it's not the size of the assignment, it's the recognition of a heart that just says, yes, in the middle of what I'm doing, yes, God. And yes, because this obstacle in front of me is bigger than I can handle, but you are bigger, God, and I believe in you. It's another reminder to us that no matter who we are, God is with us. No matter what we've done, God is looking for people who believe in him. It doesn't matter how tarnished we feel, how different we feel to the people around us. Our past doesn't stop us. Our circumstances are no obstacle to God. When Rahab did the thing that put her in the Hall of Fame for... I'm using that loosely there. When Rahab did the deed that James talks about and that he, the writer to the Hebrews talks about, when she did that, she was a prostitute. When she did that. Isn't that amazing? She wasn't, she wasn't a saint. She wasn't some pious like, church leader or anything like that. She was... She's working as a prostitute when she displayed that faith. It's encouraging for us because it doesn't matter where we are. It doesn't matter where we are. God just wants people who will believe in him. Let's all recognize that God is with us. And let's look at our obstacles and see not the size of the difficulty, but the power and the love of our mighty and beautiful God. Let's pray. Our Father, we are, um, oh, we are so ready sometimes to just repeat yesterday over and over again. We are distracted easily. We are intimidated um, easily too. Father, forgive us for our lack of desire to see your kingdom come. And for our, um, sometimes for our, for, I don't know, you are small in our eyes, in my eyes. 
And I pray this morning, Father, that we would feel from you, uh, not guilt and not pressure, but this beautiful invitation to trust you. Because you are bigger than the thing that's in front of us. You're bigger than our addiction. You are bigger than our problem. You are bigger um, than our shame. You are bigger, um, God, than the obstacle that we have uh, to face. Help us to believe you, God. And help us to take steps this week in faith. Thank you for this inspirational story uh, of this woman in the walls of Jericho. In Jesus' name, amen.